Welcome to Group Talk, a monthly podcast conversation from the Small Group Network, focusing on topics relevant to small groups ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you are a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax and listen to today's program. Hi, welcome to Group Talk. Thank you for joining us. I'm Carolyn Takeda, your host and the Small Groups Pastor at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. This month, we have a special two-part program featuring Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church. Pastor Rick recently spoke at the Small Group Network Lobby Conference in March of 2019, and we've selected portions of his talk for this program. Rick Warren, of course, is the founder and senior pastor of Saddleback Church with currently 18 campuses and 8,000 small groups. And he's the author of several books, including the international bestseller, The Purpose Driven Life. At the lobby conference's casual, beautiful setting with a room full of small group point leaders, Pastor Rick talked about a range of topics. And when you listen to this program, you're going to see how he is such a huge advocate on the value of small groups. As he puts it, small groups are not a program of the church, small groups are the church. In part one, the first of these two podcasts, Pastor Rick shares some stories about Saddleback Church and his thoughts about small groups, discipleship, and the five purposes that every group needs to have to be a healthy community. Then in part two, Pastor Rick speaks about current and future trends in society and why small groups are, quote, excruciatingly important to the mission of the church. He also summarizes and describes Saddleback's secret sauce, which is a highly effective host campaign strategy for starting new groups. We hope you'll pick up some nuggets of wisdom and that God will use Pastor Rick's words to encourage and to inspire you in your ministry. So here we go, part one with Pastor Rick Warren. Well, you've been around uh, Saddleback probably long enough if you read Steve's book to know that uh, at Saddleback, you say that small groups uh, are not a ministry of the church. Small groups are not a program of the church. Small groups are not an outreach of the church. Small groups are not an event of the church. Small groups are the church. It is the church. It is the purest expression of the church. It is the church. The weekend is not the church. It's the crowd. A crowd is not a church. A lot of guys build a crowd and think they got a church. No, they just have a crowd. The crowd can be turned into a church. And if you want a big church, you've got to have a big crowd to get there. The crowd is not a church. The weekend is just a funnel. Sometimes I'll hear people and staff say, it's all about the weekend. They're dead wrong. They're just dead wrong. If all you have is the weekend, you have an event, not a church, not a fellowship, not a koinonia, not a congregation. It is the funnel by which you're going to move them into the church. And if you have a strategy like Purpose Driven, where you bring them in, you build them up, you teach them how, and you send them out, then you can build a church. And when I started Saddleback, now um, we're, we started our 40th year in January. Saddleback is the only church in America that I know of, at least the only large one, that has more people in small groups than come on the weekend. On a typical weekend, we might have uh, 29,000, 30,000 people uh, show up for church at all of our campuses. Uh, but during the week, we can have as high as 40,000, and during campaigns, as high as 45,000 people in small groups. We've had as high, I don't know what it is right now, but we've had as high as 8,422 groups. 
Every city in Southern California has Salvax 12 groups in it. We're in 196 cities, from Santa Monica to San Diego. Every single city in Southern California has Saddleback groups in it. That's why when we get ready to start uh, you know, a campus, like we were getting ready to start Huntington Beach campus, I said, how many groups have got in Huntington Beach? 400. 400. Now, I can teach you, and actually Steve can teach you how to do that, but we can't teach you how to do it quickly. It took 39 years. So those huge numbers I just told you, that it didn't happen overnight. It took 39 years of consistent, systematic, sequential, loving people, tr trusting people, training people, building into people, building leaders. I can teach any of you how to grow a church. I cannot teach you how to do it quickly. In fact, when you see a church that grows from like zero to 4,000 in like a couple years, that's not normal growth. It's actually transfer growth every time. So what happens if somebody comes in town, they have to have a good communicator, and a lot of Christians go from other churches over to that place. That's not legitimate growth. God has called us to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium and transferring fish back and forth. And what, what's the new... So well, I'm not impressed when I see a church go from zero to three or four thousand. We didn't grow that way. On the fifth year of Saddleback Church, we still had 500 people. Not 5,000. And it was systematic year after year after year. Well, you got to know how to bring them in. you got to know how to build them up. you got to know how to teach them and train them for leadership. And you got to know how to send them out. Of course, as you've heard, you, you know, we use a baseball diagram just to, as a visual. Getting them to first base, that's those 50,000 baptized and, and into the membership of Saddleback Church and taking class 101. Then we get them to second base and they sign the maturity covenant and we get them in a small group. And once people are in a small group, I stop worrying about them. Because I know their needs are going to be taken care of. But the bottom line is you don't need a lot of stuff to grow a church. What you do need is you need love. And you can't love a crowd. Love can only happen when you've got four people or six people or eight people or ten people. In small groups, small really is better. Small really is better. Four is better than six. Six is better than eight. Eight is better than ten. You get more than ten people in a small group, somebody stops talking. And the person with the most outgoing personality will tend to dominate the larger the group becomes, just like I'm doing right now. And, and so, really, small is better. And one of the values of, of, of Saddleback, as you said, is, as I said earlier, small groups are not a program of the church. They are the church. It is the church. It's where koinonia takes place. It's where the church happens. It's more important than anything else. Because that's where 58 times in the New Testament the phrase one another is used. Love one another. Care for one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Greet one another, serve one another, share with one another, and on and on and on. It is the 58 one another's of the mutual ministry of the body of Christ that cannot take place in a crowd. So I'm preaching this constantly. You've got to be in a group. You're not really a part of this church unless you're in a group. And that's how we have more people in small groups than actually come on Sunday morning. But we don't even leave at second base, we move them to third base, which is we train them for their ministry. We have about 
25,000 people who've been trained in ministry. We have over 500 ministries that work out in the community during the week. I don't even know them all anymore. There's just so many things going on. But even that's not enough. Maturity is not an end in itself. Maturity is for ministry. Ministry is not an end in itself. You've got to move them around to home plate, bring them home, Grand Slam Disciple, which is mission. Send them out. Bring them in, build them up, teach them how, send them out. Bring them in, build them up, teach them how, send them out. Small groups playing integral part in all four of those things. And so the, the New Testament model for a healthy church is large group worship, small group fellowship, temple courts, and house to house. And those two things uh, create the yin and the yang of a healthy church. Large group worship, small group fellowship, temple courts, house to house. And if you get that done, you'll grow a healthy church. It's when you start adding on all this other stuff that isn't in the Bible that starts making the church uh, so busy going to meetings that they don't have time to know their neighbor and have a barbecue and win them to Christ. Most Christians don't know their neighbors. Why? One of the worst things is that the longer you're a Christian, the fewer non-believers you know. Because you spend all your time with believers. I, I don't even think like a Christian. I think like a pastor. That's two generations removed from reality. And so the most effective evangelists in your church are not your old Christians. They're, it's the brand new ones. Because they still have all the contacts. They're the ones who aren't afraid of non-believers because they were one five minutes ago. But the longer you're a Christian, the more you start fearing non-believers and feel alien to you. So the first thing you just need to accept is that what you're doing is the church. It's not an extension of the church. It's not a program of the church. It is the church. Temple courts and house to house. It's half of the New Testament model. That's why I talk about it all the time. We used to specialize our small groups. And there were some that were specializing in evangelism. And there were some that specialized in ministry. And some specialized in discipleship. We're a discipleship group. We study for that. And some specialized in fellowship. We're a fellowship group. And some specialized in worship. We just get together and we worship. That's not a healthy church. That's not a healthy group. The, for a group to be healthy, it has to have all the DNA. Every church, every small group must have all five purposes in it. It must worship. Your small group must worship. It must fellowship. It must disciple. It must grow, mature. It must minister. A non-serving uh, group is a contradiction. Like a non-serving Christian is a contradiction. And it must do outreach. It must reach out. It must have a mission. So all of the DNA, all five purposes of God. You know there are five purposes of God for the church. Not six, not seven, not four, not two. There are five. I could give you a hundred books written over the last thousand years that would tell you whether you're Catholic or Orthodox or Episcopal or Evangelical or Pentecostal, that there are five purposes of the church. Worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and evangelism. Those five purposes are modeled in Acts 2. Those five purposes are prayed for by Jesus in John 17. Those five purposes are explained by Paul in Ephesians 4. But they are best summarized in two statements of Jesus, the Great Commission 
and the Great Commandment. If you get the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, you'll you'll grow a great church. That's the that's the theme of Saddleback Church. I invite you to steal it. It's fine. A great commitment to the Great Commandment and a great commission will grow a great church. A great commitment to the Great Commandment and a great commission will grow a great Christian. A great commitment to a great commission and a great commandment will grow a great company or a great city or a great community or a great country. These are the twin pillars of Jesus. One day Jesus walking down the street, one day a guy comes up and says, what's the most important thing? Gee, oh, that's easy. I'm going to summarize it in two sentences. I'm going to give you all the law and the prophets. I'm going to summarize the entire Bible. This is cliff notes on the Bible. Here it is. Simple. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the first two purposes of the church. Now, what is that called? To love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength is called worship. Worship is simply expressing my love to God. Every time I express my love to God in any way, whether I'm by myself, in a small group, or with 500 people, I'm worshiping. Worship is expressing my love to God. It's telling God you love him. Love your neighbors yourself, that's called ministry. And Jesus said, even if you give a cup of cold water in my name, that counts. And so the first two purposes of your life and the first two purposes of your church are worship and ministry. Love God and serve others. Love them through service. So we get two of the purposes of the church, two of the purposes for every small group, out of the Great Commandment. We get the other three purposes out of the Great Commission. There are five verbs in these two sentences. And in the Great Commission, he says, go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, oh, by the way, teach them to do everything I've commanded you. Go make disciples. Okay, that's evangelism. Teach them to do everything I've taught you. Command you. That's discipleship. Now, between the twin goals of evangelism and discipleship, says, oh, by the way, baptize them into the body of Christ. Bring them in. Don't just make believers, make belongers. We're not just called to believe, we're called to belong. And this is the incorporation purpose, or fellowship. I've been serving the Lord now almost 50 years. What keeps me going? I love Jesus Christ. I love him with all my heart. And if he never did anything else for me, I will serve him. And as long as I have breath, I will offer my body as a living sacrifice. And I will do things that wear me out. Because he died for me. So the DNA of all five purposes has to be in every small group for it to be healthy. It has to have worship elements. It has to have fellowship elements. It has to have service elements. It has to have you know, uh, mission elements. And of course, it has to have uh, growth or, or discipleship in, in the Word of God. So um, that, that's pretty standard stuff. But really what I came to tell you this morning, and I believe this was the, the depth of my heart, uh, I've been thinking about it for the better part of the last year, is that in the next 10 years, I've been watching the trends of our society now for years, and the world is very different today, 40 years later after I started Saddleback. This is not 1980s. It's not 1990s. 
is not even the 2000s. But society has changed drastically, radically, from when I was 20, 10, 25 years old and started this church. Now, the purposes never change because they're eternal. But how you do those purposes has to change with every generation. You don't get to choose the purposes of your church, sorry. If you don't do these five things, you're not a perfect church. You're a social club. So we don't get to say, what's going to be our purpose? It's already been determined. Jesus said, I will build my church. He decided what the purposes of the church are. But we do get to choose the style and the methodologies by which we fulfill. There are lots of ways to worship. And there are lots of ways to fellowship. And there are lots of ways to disciple believers. And there are lots of ways to serve and minister. And there are lots of ways to do evangelism and mission. We don't get to choose the purposes, but we do get to choose how, when, where. And that gives us a lot of great freedom. And those have to change because the world is changing. I uh, made a list and shared it with my uh, team a year ago, our elders, of what I call 10 crucial trends uh, in our society. I'm not going to go through all of those. But I want to just talk to you about one of them. Uh, because uh, the antidote to every one of these trends is in the small group. So what you're doing, what you're leading, is actually going to become excruciatingly important, particularly in the next 10 years, as we change cultures. Because the word evangelical and because the word Christian has a negative connotation for a sizable portion of our society today, it's considered this and this and this and this, you name it. I don't think that the church's front door is going to be the worship service much longer. I think we're going to reach more people through the side doors than the front doors. Now, let me give you a model of this. I have, a, I have a Mormon neighbor, and if my Mormon neighbor came to me and go, Rick, you've got to come to church with me this weekend. It's incredible. The music, you're going to love it. It's incredible. We've got this band, and they are hot. And we've got lighting, and we've got smoke machines, and it, it's just really good music. And, and we've got free Starbucks coffee. And, and we've, got, we've got donuts, free they're really good. They're fresh. And we got incredible child care for your children. And, and, and parking. we got valet parking. And, and you can come up and we'll actually park your car for you. And you don't have to wear dress up. You can wear flip-flops and a t-shirt and shorts. And he gives me like 25 different features. And in my mind, I'm going, I don't care. I just want to be a Mormon. There is no feature that your church can offer that's going to make me want to be a Mormon. Because in my mind, a Mormon is this. You know what I'm talking about? So there's no feature you can ask, well, we've got the special celebrity guest coming. I don't care. I don't want to be a Mormon. There's nothing you could say that's going to make me want to be a Mormon. A lot of people are like that with Christianity now. Because the word has taken on a negative term, and it's been politicized, and it's been 
all kinds of problems with it. What breaks my heart is that the bride of Christ has mud on her face and her beautiful white dress has been sullied and her hair has been messed up. And I want to see the beauty of the bride of Christ restored in our nation. We will either have revival or America will go the way of Europe, which it lost its soul. And in a vacuum, nature abhors a vacuum, Islam has moved into that vacuum in, in Europe. We will either have a fourth great awakening, which I pray for, or we will continue in our decline and we will have different kinds of ministry. I went back and reread Augustine's City of God. City of God was written in about 400 something AD in the fall of Rome. By that time, Rome was looked not as the enemy of Christianity, but as the supporter of Christianity. It was the official religion. And when Rome fell, the Christians goes, what's going to happen to our faith? The city of God, Rome, has fallen. What's going to happen? And, and Augustine writes this, the culture's going to the pagans. By this time, Rome, Christianity was the primary thing in Rome and all these great cathedrals and stuff. The one thing I can say about Christianity is I, and one thing I say about the future is I don't know what life's going to be in 100, 200, 500. But if a thousand years from today, Jesus Christ still hasn't come back, I don't know where to be ready at any moment, but if he hasn't come back in a thousand years, well, I can't tell you this. There won't be a Microsoft in a thousand years. There won't be an Apple. There won't be a Starbucks. Shoot, there won't be a United States of America. Why? Because no human thing lasts forever. No empire lasts. Where's the, where's the, Roman, where's the Roman Empire? It's gone. Where's the Hittite Empire? Where's the Ugaritic Empire? Where's the Assyrian Empire? Where's the Sumerian Empire? Where's the Hittite Empire? They're all gone. Everything. One thing you can say about any dictator or president, they won't be here for long. It's just a window. And the church has outlasted every dictator, has outlasted every poor leader, has outlasted every attack, war, cult, criticism, persecution. Persecution is actually good for the church. Wherever the church is persecuted, it grows. But I'm saying that the idea of building a, quote, an attractive church where the front door is, we offer all these cool things, isn't going to cut it in the next generation. So how do you do the purposes in a new way that attract the new generation? Acts 13, 36, David served God's purpose in his generation, then he died. That's my life verse. I want to serve God's purpose in my generation when I die. Who wants to stay around here anyway? Well, it's God's through with you. you. You do the timeless in a timely way. You do that which never changes in a world that's constantly changing. You do that, do that which is eternal in a contemporary and relevant way. You serve God's purpose in your generation. And by the way, you can't serve God's generation in anybody else's generation. There are some people who think the golden age of Christianity is the Reformation. They'd like to go back to that. There are some people who think the golden age is the 1950s. They'd like to go back to that. 
You can't go back to any, you can only serve God's purpose in your generation right now. And here's what we've got. We've got a generation that is increasingly not interested in coming to church. What is going to attract? How do we win people in a thing where it's not low-hanging fruit? Throw open your doors and say, y'all come and have something nice and offer them a nice seat and comfortable parking. How are you going to reach people like that? Okay, I want you to listen closely. I've studied this my entire life. People come to Christ when they're in transition or under tension. You might write that down. People come to Christ when they're in transition or under tension. They come to Christ when they're in pain. God speaks to us, whispers to us in our, you know, in our pleasure, C.S. Lewis said, and shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone. And so I highly recommend that you start, stop trying to reach everybody in your community and just start focusing on the people who are in pain. Leave the happy pagans alone because they will get in pain eventually. But don't worry about, you know, Jesus said in the sower of the sower of the fields, he said there are four kinds of soil. And when you sow the seed, there's, you know, the hard ground that it doesn't even come up. And then there's the rocky ground and it comes up a little bit and dies. And there's the rock ground with weeds. And then there's the good soil of the four kinds of soil, the good soil. And that plants and it multiplies 50, 25, 100 fold. And you have great fruit. Now, if that's true, and of course Jesus never said anything that wasn't true, if there are four kinds of soil, and those represent four kinds of heart, the hard heart, the conflicted heart, the, you know, the hard-hearted, uh, the, the busy heart, and the open heart, if that's true, Jesus is saying only 25% of the people out there are open. That 75% of the soil is not going to receive the, the seed. Does that make sense? 75% of society out there is not going to be interested in the good news of Jesus Christ. But there's 25% out there that man, when it gets that seed, it, it catches it and it grows. I'm begging you to start focusing on the 25%. And that's the people in pain. It is not my job to prepare the soil. It's my job to plant the seed where it will grow the best. It is God's job to prepare the soil. God is in the hard cultivation business, not me. How does God turn hard soil into good soil? How does he turn dead bedrock, you can't see, just lays on top, into something that will receive the seed? How does God turn hard into soft? Hard. He sends a storm. He sends rain. And when the rain comes down long enough on that hard, hard soil, it gets soft and it gets softer, and it gets softer, and eventually the seed can be in. I think more people are going to be brought to Christ through the relationships in small groups than any front door evangelism in the next 15 to 20 years. You're hearing it from me. You're hearing it from me. This makes what you do more important than the weekend. As I said, people are always attracted to love. 
and where you show love. You can't show love in a crowd. Oh, turn to the person next to you and say, I love you. That's weird. <laughs> and, and, and so only in authentic community can you have authentic love. And, and that's why the value of small groups is so, so important. Here at the Small Group Network, we are so grateful for Pastor Rick Warren and his leadership. We had a great time with them at the Lobby Gathering 2019, and we know that you enjoyed part one of this, and we also know that you're going to enjoy part two. Now, before we go, let's talk about Accelerate. Accelerate SoCal Small Group Workshop is coming July 2019. This is our best event value as it includes registration, lodging, and meals for three days and two nights at the beautiful Rancho Capistrano Retreat Center. Enjoy the beauty of Southern California, grow as a leader, strengthen your team, and accelerate the health and growth of your small group ministry by attending our Accelerate SoCal Small Group Workshop July 8th through the 10th. Go to smallgroupnetwork.com slash events to register. We'll see you next month for part two. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, Please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily. We encourage you to visit our website at smallgroupnetwork.com to access our library of free resources, connect to a huddle with other small group ministry leaders in your area, read our blog articles, or join us on our Facebook group. Don't forget to use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.